Allie Bartman. I am very excited to be interviewing you today for the Theme Podcast. Um, I know you well, and I know your whole family very well, and I know your story well, but I'm really looking forward to interviewing you in this setting one-on-one and for people who are listening to be able to hear um, your story. It, it always feels weird to me to say your story because it's really your life, but your story I find um, really interesting and also something that's a really important story to tell for others to listen because it's it is um, it's important for other women to hear and to hear you tell it in your own words um, because it's something that we should all know about and that is not just your own life story and who you are and where you come from but your breast cancer story of course. And um, it's an interesting, intricate one. It's a little different than some other women's uh, breast cancer stories, but it's it's very educational for in many ways and many reasons, which we'll hear about. And the way you tell it is, um, it's beautiful, and at least the way I've heard you tell it, is beautiful and important. So um, without further ado, let's get into it. But before we really jump into that and the nuts and bolts, will you just sort of give us before you sort of tell the so the details of your breast cancer story will you just sort of tell us about who you are where you come from and and i guess how i found you know how i got to meet you well thank you for having me um i'm always happy yeah. to talk to you um i uh grew up in la and born and raised and um i went off to chicago at northwestern for college and for my that off and came back to LA um, and decided that I was really interested in teaching and um, started working at a small private school that was pretty new at the time and was picked up on a blind date with my husband, um, Brett. And uh, we got married a couple of years later. And I worked for 10 years, loved the teaching, had an amazing time doing it, had an amazing time traveling with my husband. Um, and then we had our daughter Bailey, and a few years later, um, our son Brendan came along, and um, just were surrounded by family in Los Angeles. I was both with my uh, parents here, and my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law, which is how I've come to meet you, um, Michelle, who is basically like a real sister to me, and, you know, we're just a family of four with three dogs and, you know, in a crazy LA life that we have. And I don't know, that's really about it in terms of what age did you the, teach? I taught my first year, I taught kindergarten and it was really funny because mm-hmm. the head of the school came to me at the very end of the year and she sat down next to me and she said, she said, how's it going? I said, it's been interesting. She's like, this age is not for you. And I said, no, this age is not for me. <laughs> said I have a lot of respect for kindergarten teachers but I just didn't I didn't have the patience for it you have to be a mm-hmm. really special person to be to teach kindergarten and so definitely um, I definitely <laughs> so I got matched up with an incredible mentor teacher who had come in from Houston um, and she taught second grade and it just was that age just like seven eight I just I loved it and kind of found my wheelhouse. And I taught second grade for um, 
seven years and then they started looping. So I added two years of first grade, which was amazing because you also, you know, were te really teaching reading at that point. Um, and it was just amazing to see the whole process. So I, you know, it was great. I love teaching. Um, it was really hard when I ended up not teaching anymore, but it, but it was a great, great experience. And then what is your, um, what's your family history with breast cancer? So, um, my husband and I, got married in November of 1999 and we went on our honeymoon and we got back from our honeymoon and my mom uh, came over with my dad to her apartment and told us that she just been diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was a shock. It was a long time ago. I mean, we've been married for 20 years. So it was 20 years ago. Um, and she had a lumpectomy and they did chemo as an insurance policy is what they told her. Um, and she I have to stop the you. Treatment. That is, did they use the words insurance policy? Yes. Did the doctor use the words or did your parents tell use those words for you? I, I, that's what my mom used, but she, I think she was, I think the oncologist at the time had explained that it was kind of, you know, like when you do a lumpectomy, it's localized when you do chemotherapy, it's systemic. So it goes through your entire system. So they kind of looked at it as a, get any of the traces that were left after the lumpectomy. It's funny, and, when, I mean, it's not funny, but when my, um, when my sister and I came home from soccer practice and we sat down in my dad's study, I can picture the whole thing so clearly, um, January 1993, and my dad sat us down and said, your mom's in the hospital. She's just had a hysterectomy. They found ovarian cancer, but they've taken it all, that, all out. She's going to have chemotherapy as an insurance policy. It's like the phrase I remember as if it were yesterday. It's, it's yeah, I, I never, don't know what I, that I mean, is. Yeah, I've never heard it since. That is just the phrase. Sorry I mean, to it's, it's, stop you. It's just it's one of those phrases that just it's like it's like burned into my brain. But sorry to no, interrupt. No, and it's please. interesting. No, not at all. And it was so interesting because that's how they. I think that's really how they put it to her. That it was like that. Um, and I can't remember because she's now had two different kinds of breast cancer. Um, right. But, the, but I think at that time that that was what they they thought that you know the lumpectomy took care of it. The chemo was just an insurance policy just to kind of clean up if there was anything else left. And she recovered and we, you know, did, a, we got involved and I got involved in a couple of different breast cancer, you know, runs. I did the Avon when they used to have the three day and you walked from Santa Barbara mm -hmm. all the way to, back to LA. Um, I did that a couple of times. We did the Revlon and it was just something that was on my radar. Um, until, you know, a few years later, I found a lump myself and I had gone to the doctor and they checked it and they're like, well, they did a needle biopsy. There was nothing there, but it was something that just kind of started bringing it to the forefront of my mind. 
and they ended up taking it out surgically because it just kept growing, but it was benign. Um, and from then on, How I started you? getting checked. I was, hmm, I was probably in my late 20s. And you were doing regular, like regular self-rest exams? I was doing regular self-rest exams just because, you know, it was it was in the, an age where they started hanging the things in the shower at the sororities of, like, yeah. how to do your self-rest exam um, mm-hmm. or at, you know, college. They had it hanging, you know, up when you went to your gynecologist. They said do self-rest exams. It was, like, the time when self-rest exams were, like, the thing to do. And because yeah. of my mom, I started doing them anyway. So I, you know, I was very aware of like my body and what was happening in my breast. I also knew that I had very dense breasts. So it made it more challenging to find certain things. So, you know, that was something that was always discussed in my annual checkups. And then I started getting mammograms when I was 35. And they were always clear. There was one time where they found some calcifications, but we kept monitoring it. It was fine. I had a couple of MRIs. Everything was good. But I was on top of it going every six months. Um, and then they started doing something called the ABUS, which is the automated breast ultrasound, which was the new wave of technology for um, looking at breast tissue. And I had one in June of 2018. And it was clear, which was great, because before every single mammogram or ultrasound or MRI, um, and as I'm sure it is for any woman, you get you get a little nervous, like okay, I just want to get this done, get the AOK and move on. Um, and so I had a clear ultrasound. I was really great. Everything was fine um, until December. Until September. And that's when everything kind of started going downhill. Really quick question. So, was your mom yeah. te- did your mom have genetic testing um, that you knew of at this point? My mom, so my mom ended up having breast cancer again, I want to say 10 years after her first breast cancer. And it was a different kind of breast cancer. And this was something that I learned when, more so understood when I was diagnosed that there are different types of breast cancer. There's different variations and combinations of estrogen and progesterone and um, another gene called the HER2. HER2. So I didn't really understand all that, but my mom was diagnosed with another type of breast cancer 10 years after her first one. And it was in the different breasts. And it was a different type of breast cancer. So at that point, she had had a double mastectomy. She's like, I'm done. I don't want to worry about this. I am, am finished with, you know, worrying about this. Um, so it, it just, you know, it, what was I trying to say? So so at that time when she after she was recovering i think it was probably right after she did get genetic testing and she was negative for at that point in time you could just test for BRCA1 and BRCA2 i think and she was negative for both of them okay so for 
for me, it was really interesting because a lot of the times, a lot of the time in between that, there was a lot of debate with girlfriends, with doctors. It, it was whether or not I should be genetic tested, whether I should have genetic testing taking it, was it whether I carried BRCA gene. And for me, it was really a struggle just because I, you know, I didn't know what I would do with that information if I tested positive. I wasn't sure whether I'd have a prophylactic double mastectomy. Um, so when in September of 2018, I found a lump and it was at the beginning of the month, I kind of just like found it. I was like, oh, you know, it's probably a cyst that'll go away. And it didn't go away. And then I forgot about it for a few weeks and I checked again. I'm like, oh, it's a little bit bigger. I'm like, I think I should probably go check it out. Um, and that's when everything started. It was just kind of one, you know, moment where you're just, like, okay, this is not where I expected to be. But I went to the doctor and I got really lucky because I was able to get a biopsy the next day, but you have to wait days for the results. And right. then I had a biopsy on Friday. And Monday, how I was diagnosed was unfortunate, wasn't the best experience. Not that it could be a good experience but regardless, but it wasn't in the essence that I had my husband sitting next to me or my mom sitting there or somebody there to support me. Um, I got a phone call and I was driving and I was at the sunset, the light at sunset in Kenter. And that's how I found out by myself in a car, which was mm. awful. But, you know, in the scheme of things, you know, you kind of take it and you deal with what you have. It's amazing. I'm sure, like we said, I said earlier, it's just burned in your brain. Uh, it's it's something I will never forget. I was supposed to be going over to my sister-in-law's. I was going over to my sister-in-law's because she had just gotten a kitten. And mm. I never made it there. I, I pulled through the light. I pulled over to the first street and sat there. I don't remember driving myself back home. That's like the crazy thing. Is I just, somehow I ended up back in my driveway, thank God. It's something you never forget, unfortunately. And what was your family's reaction? So I think I think for my husband, it was more disbelief. I think he just, it was, I think it was disbelief at first. And then it was like, okay, we're just going to, you know, put our notes to the grindstone. We're just going to, we're going to plow, we're going to plow through this and we're going to get through it. Um, my mom, it broke her heart. I think my dad was a wreck. My dad wouldn't speak to me for like two weeks because he just couldn't, he couldn't bring himself to like have a normal conversation um, until right. I called him and I said, look, I said, it is a crappy situation. I said, but unless you can pull, I said, I need you. I said, and your grandchildren need you more importantly. I said, but I need you to be able to pull yourself together enough to be at my house because he would come over every Sunday to make breakfast with them and hang, and hang out with them. I'm like, you need to pull yourself together and come into my house and be normal and be happy and be positive and be there for your grandchildren. I'm like, that's it. End of story. Um, my sister-in-law was a, she was a whirlwind to begin with, um, mm -hmm. but she kind of rallied the troops 
around me and was there for me every step of the way and my mother-in-law as well. I mean, everybody like kind of pulled together and um, which just made it easier for me to be able to like deal with what I needed to deal with. And I'm the type of person who does everything herself. I don't ask people for help. I have a set plan in my mind. I execute it myself. I, I really don't ask for help. And this was the first time in my life where I was like, I need to ask for help. I need to let people help me. Because what did you let them help you with? Um, my sister-in-law organized a food train, which was like a point of contention with my husband for a long time. Cause he's like, I don't understand. He's like, we can supply our own food. And I said, I understand that. Mm-hmm. But what I think both of us found throughout the process was that, um, I had immunotherapy for six weeks and then I had chemo for five months and, you don't want to think about food when you're going through chemo at all. Like it just has no appeal, nor do you want to think about how to plan a meal for your family. And for him, he was still working and he would come home and kind of take over the house. And it took so much off of our plate so that he didn't have to worry about making sure the dinner was on the table. Like people just, it was amazing because food would just show up and it was, from people that were close, people that I wasn't close with. And it also, it was important because it provided other people with a way to help us that was helpful for us without being too invasive and also made them feel like they were helping us as well. Like it just kind of brilliant. I think it's so brilliant. I mean, I have, um, we have a very close friend whose daughter was just diagnosed with leukemia and a friend who doesn't they don't live here they live out of the state or in a different state and a friend organized a meal train for them and that we can participate in you know from here just they gave us a list of restaurants and you can I mean I just did it on Postmate for them you know that day or one of the other delivery services I don't remember um and it was it is it's just one of those wonderful things that technology has helped us with and also you're right. I mean, you know, it's it, nobody knows what to say. Nobody knows what to do. The worst thing you can do is do nothing because that's not the right thing. You know, people uh, for 20 years have asked me, what do, what do I say? You know, cause I'm some sort of expert cause my mom died a long time ago. And my answer is, well, don't say nothing if you, you know, and don't say I'm so, you know, say whatever you want, but don't say nothing. If you, if you feel like you need to say something, say something. Um, but the idea that you can offer to do something that is actually helpful and without being invasive, it, those are the, this is the exact phrase that I would have used that you used. It is just tremendous. Um, I mean, it's such a minor part of this conversation, but I think it's so important when people are, when you're going through something that is, I mean, trying and taxing in every dimension, right? Physically. mentally, emotionally, for yourself, for your family, every single person around you is dealing with it differently. Your kids, your husband, your parents, your pets, I mean, everybody. To not have to deal with dinner, it's like just one thing taken off your, your plate, pardon the pun, that just makes your life a little bit easier and everyone around you. And it gives your friends, your family, your 
acquaintances, you know, mom friends who you really barely even know, some of whom you might not even like, something to do to help. It's just so nice. Um, it's really a blessing. It really is. And that you can sign up for it online and not even have to tell you or talk to you about it and just have it at your door. Right. It's just lovely. <laughs> and you don't even well, have to talk to them if you don't want. I mean, well, that was, it was, I mean, it, and it really worked too. Well, it was, it was interesting because I, funny and not funny because I, I was talking to another friend who had been diagnosed with breast cancer, I think five, five years before me. And we were talking about meal trains and she's like, the one thing I learned, she's like, is be as specific as you can be. She's like, because yeah. she's like, she's like, food shows up. She's like, you know, your kids, you want to make sure that your kids eat. And it was so funny because I remember sitting, I was having an immunotherapy treatment and we were sitting in the waiting room, you know, where they do all the chemo and transfusions and everything. And we're sitting in the waiting room with, and I was sitting with my sister-in-law and she and I were just like arguing over like restaurants and food and like and the guy across the the waiting room from us who was waiting for his chemo just sat there and he just started laughing. He was like, you guys just made my day. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, it was something that was just seemed so stupid. But in the end, like, I think it was also for my kids. I mean, I just remember it was this one family and the mother is lovely and her daughter is just adorable. And you know, I think it was actually probably like the first dinner that was delivered to us. And I told the kid and the kids were like, well, who, you know, sent the food? And I told them and Brendan was like, oh my God, it was a little girl from his class. And he went up to her and her mother the next day. And he's like, I just want to thank you. My mom has cancer. You guys sent us food. And it was so nice. And it was just like, for me at that moment, I was going to make me cry. Um, yeah. Like they felt supported. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. I've never even heard that before. I don't know. We might have to call back. I've never, I've never, I've never done that before. Uh-oh. All right. We'll have to, we'll have to go fast. Keep talking. Don't worry. We'll keep talking. Um, so it just like, for me, like it, it showed the kids that they were like, that even though they may not have, and, and my son was very outspoken about my diagnosis. My daughter was a little quieter yeah. about it, but like they felt supported, like they felt like people were there and people were thinking of them and it just, it made a difference for them, which was, you know, you know, when you're going through this and you have kids, it's like trying to keep them positive and keep them going just as much as you're trying to keep yourself going, um, which it's, is hard it's to balance tremendous. everybody, it's... just balance everybody at the same time. And you know, fighting for your life. I mean, all of it yes. <laughs> on top of it. Exactly. Um, exactly. And tell us about the kind of cancer that you had and how important it was that you diagnosed it yourself. And the, the timing was so crucial. So I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, which I knew nothing about before. I knew a little bit about before because I actually, oddly enough, had a friend from my graduating high school class who was diagnosed with it two years ago. Um, it has no hormonal component, which means that they can't, they have different types of hormones that they can give you or, you know, there's treatments for it. But for triple negative, there is no treatment. Like there's um, right now, 
the, your best defense is chemo and surgically removing it. Um, right. It is very aggressive. It moves very fast. Um, so I found it in December, in September, and my next mammogram wasn't until January. And had I waited until my next mammogram, it would have been a whole different story. And I was still stage two. It wasn't like I caught it and it was still stage zero, which means it's like kind of in its almost pre-existing condition um, or stage one where it's still in the duct. It had, you know, it had broken free of where it was going to be. Um, so it would have been a completely different situation because of how fast moving and how aggressive it was. So, and because of that, the treatment needs to be fast and it needs to be aggressive. Um, and I participated in a trial for immunotherapy, which has become like a newer thing for a lot of different types of cancers, where I had that for six weeks. And then I started five months of chemo, which was a, a lot. I mean, it was a lot on my body and it was a lot emotionally. But um, I was lucky. That's all. I mean, because I found it myself and because I was, I knew what my breast felt like. I knew what was normal and what was not normal. And because I was on top of it, I was lucky. It's because if I hadn't found it myself and if I hadn't done the self-exam and if I had waited, you know, my outcome might not have been as good. Which is so incredible. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's what, we preach and what I've been saying, you know, for 20 years, which is women have to know they're normal. You have to know what your baseline is. And by the way, that baseline changes. What I've been saying for so long is know your normal and that our normal changes as women and we have to change with it and we have to understand, or we don't have to change it, but we have to understand the changes. So from being prepubescent to going through puberty to our late teens and 20s, 30s and 40s, we have to take the time to understand our bodies and to know our bodies and to know what our normal is. And as women, I think we have this ideal in our head in, that translates to lots of different parts of our lives, um, you know, physically, but also internally, emotionally, mentally, that hovers around like 16 to 18 years old. And somehow that is what our normal is when it is not. So knowing the normal for everything, and in this conversation, you know, relative speaking about our breasts. And so what is your normal, what do your normal breasts feel like? And then understanding that is abnormal and doing something about it. So for someone who has a history of breast cancer in their family, for someone who's had, you know, lumps in their, you know, in their breasts and knows what that feels like. It is so important to understand what your body feels like, to understand what your breasts feel like, and then to be in charge of them and to not outsource that, right? It's important right. to trust our doctors. It's important to find a doctor that you trust, that you love, that you know has taken the time to know you and to know your body and to know what your normal is, but you still can't completely outsource that. That is not responsible. and so you did everything right. I mean, you did. So you're alive. And I think that is like the most incredible thing and what I hope everybody who's listening takes away from this conversation is that 
you know, there's there's a lot of different information out there about self-breast exam and women should or shouldn't be doing it. But to me, this is the exact reason why, yes, we should be doing self-breast exams and doing them correctly. And the reason why is because it encourages us as women to be in touch with our bodies, be in touch with ourselves, and to know what normal feels like, both externally and internally. And I don't mean internally by doing, you know, internal exams on ourselves, but internally is what do we feel like? What's normal? Um, I did a podcast, an interview actually last week with a woman who had survived breast cancer. She survived, excuse me, she survived two bouts of ovarian cancer. And we talked about how similarly um, to my mom, um, she had major issues with her bowels leading up to her second bout of ovarian cancer. So hers was she had major constipation that lasts for months and months. My mom had diarrhea for over a year leading up to her ovarian cancer diagnosis. And both my mom and this gal didn't put two and two together that this was this was something to be checked out. This was something to raise an alarm with with their doctor. Instead, it just sort of was ignored and attributed to stress and sort of minor changes and issues because of their age and, you know, their body and their, you know, whatever was going on in their life. And it was like, well, no, this is a red flag. This is your body literally telling you something is going on, something's wrong. And so right. there's this fine line that, yeah, I mean, there's, hello, you know, there's this fine line of, you know, we can't live in fear and we can't go crazy every time we, we feel something tiny or we see something or something's a little bit different. Yes, there's a, there's a line. But if you really do know what your, what your normal is, then my normal at 44 is not the same normal that it was at 34 or 24 or 14, but I know what it is now. And if I go out of that sort of circle I've created for myself, then it's my responsibility to, to raise it with the appropriate doctor I have in my life. Um, and and that's, that's really important. And, you know, breast cancer is not so cut and dry. And I, I also think one of the sort of myths about breast cancer in the, in the world, and in particular in the United States, we can just focus on is that it's this quote unquote beaten disease, you know, that we've come so far, it's, it's beaten. We have mammograms, women know about it, it's a done deal, um, but it's not. There are very aggressive types of breast cancer. You obviously know that all too well. And um, women need to be vigilant. We need to teach young girls and young women how to do self-breast exams and to understand their bodies and know they're normal and understand themselves and to continue working with doctors on the medical side, right, to understand what that right. means and have them work with women and young women to understand, I believe, the different types of breast cancer without scaring people, but to understand what that means and what it means to have breast cancer in your family and what that doesn't mean. And not to, you know, raise alarm bells when they don't need to be raised, but what it means to adapt that into your life. Um, I think it's really important and I don't think it's, um, I think it can be a, a beaten disease if you know, if you have the knowledge to understand it and to take care of yourself, 
but not to sort of brush it under the rug, um, which you clearly didn't do, which I believe is why you're alive today, which, um, you know, you and your family are, and all your friends are, are so grateful for, um, which is why I said from the beginning, your breast cancer story is, is so important to tell beyond the fact that it's, you know, uplifting and, you know, a, a good one, but it's, it's important. <laughs> it's, it's, it is. It's important, and and you tell it with eloquence and with accuracy. That is is really important for women and men to hear. And I think it's important for men to hear because it's not only inspiring, but it's it's important for the supportive the support side of it. Um, but it's also something that women need to hear because we have to understand what what it means and what it means to be. Um, educated and to be vigilant and to also know that we've come so far in this field, but that literally feeling your breast in the proper way can save your life. And that's old school. You know, that is the pamphlets right. that used to be on the back of the bathroom doors in high schools and sorority houses and, you know, that is no longer there for some reason. So, you know, to me, that's part of the lesson of this um, is that we have to be able to sort of go back to that at some level. Right. No, it's true. It's very true. It's something that, you know, I've, it was interesting because when I was diagnosed, my daughter asked me, she's like, this is something I have to worry about. And, mm -hmm. you know, I said, look, I said, it's something that you're going to have to be aware of. And it's something that we're going to, that when you're younger, you're just going to have to follow and monitor and know your body. I said, but you should be knowing your body anyways. I mean, I was negative for any genetic link for, you know, I, I was negative for BRCA and they test for, I don't even know how many they test for now. Um, right. And I was negative for all of them. So it just shows that it's not. I think that was also something that I learned from it is that that's not the end all be all in terms of determining how, you know, how much you watch yourself and know your body, it, you know, it's, it's something, but it's not everything. No, no. So, I mean, 10%, 10, 10% of women's cancers are due to genetic mutations. It's, it's not all of them by any means, 10 to 15%. So, right. No, it certainly changes the risk, but it's, if you don't have a genetic mutation, it's, it doesn't mean you're in the clear and, you know, they, we don't know all those genetic mutations that are in our bodies and they all haven't been identified, but you know, so much of it is random, but um, you know, and I think that's a whole nother conversation that we can get into another time is, you know, what age do we talk to our kids about this? And, at what age, you know, do we really have the big, the big, deep, deep conversations? Right. Um, exactly. You know, you know, as certainly it's, it's important and it needs to happen, but you know, when do you do it? And, you know, and your breasts are one, one piece of the equation the ovaries are obviously another one that has a lot of implications, but you know, it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. These are heavy, heavy ones, but Today was amazing, and I really appreciate you taking the time and, and talking to me, of course, and to whoever's listening. Um, and it's just, um, it's really, it, I just, I can't say it enough how important it is um, for women to, I think we stopped talking about breast cancer in many forums um, 
because like I said, I think a lot of people feel like we have it beat and, right. um, and that's a shame because it's still there and we won't have it beat if we, if we don't talk, if we don't continue to talk about it, um, it, it won't be beat and it's all, it's going to be there and it's always going to be there and the tools are, are always going to be necessary. The, the newer tools, the, you know, the mammograms that come in all shapes and sizes nowadays as do breasts, but the old school tools are, are just as important that you, you know, you prove to be true. 